This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada has been supporting Canadian small business retailers for 25 years. With their up-and-running program, you can access eBay's 180-plus million buyers in 190 countries around the world. With up-and-running, there are no listing fees on up to 200 listings per month, and you only pay fees when you sell. As part of the eBay community, you get real-time advice and inspiration and access to powerful selling tools and insights. Go to ebay.ca forward slash up and running, stay local, and sell global. Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. So Andrew, welcome to Canada's podcast. Thanks for coming. Why don't you tell everyone, as we always do, a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are, what you're doing at the moment, and, and then we'll move into sort of the entrepreneurial journey. Sure, and thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Yeah, so I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders at PolicyMe. My background historically before starting the company was I was an actuary for a few years, uh, and then I worked in management consulting, specifically in the insurance sector for about seven, eight years. So my experience is, is really in the insurance area, not in the distribution or the sales part of the business, which is where our company's focused, but more so on the product side really understanding how the products are priced, how the insurance companies treat them from a risk perspective and how they allocate their assets and resources towards those products. So really taking a more scientific approach to the, the issue. And, and at Policy Me, what, what we're really doing here is we're working on how do we distribute, how do we sell life insurance to individuals in an online model, but heavily focused on the advice and guidance aspect. So not just saying we're gonna find someone or we're going to take an existing customer who would typically buy from an advisor and just say, we're going to give you a bit of better process with um, less touch points, less things to sign, um, less blood and urine tests, just an easier process. We're doing that, but we're also going far beyond and really focusing on helping people understand what they need, why they need it, if they even need it at all. So all that upfront education and guidance around what to be buying before jumping into that process. And then obviously once we're there, we can facilitate that online uh, process through getting the customer from application all the way to policy issue. You know, and it's a, this is a little bit of a revisit. We we interviewed one of your co-founders, Laura, about well, six months ago. So, you know, before we dive into it, I'm just interested because it's the first time we've been able to have more, well, not the first time, but it's interesting to have a reflection on, you know, pre-COVID, post-COVID, you're, you're predominantly an online business. What's that meant to you in terms of in the, the last four months, basically? Yeah, so I think speaking a little more generically about how the, not just our specific industry, but how the economy has really shifted over the last six months, I think what we've seen is in general a shrinkage of the economy, obviously, as there's less consumer spending in a lot of different areas. But we see that the online stores are kind of still growing, right? The, the overall pie is shrinking but a lot of shifting away from brick and mortar towards digital, right? So you look at a company like Amazon, for example, retail has obviously decreased as a whole, but Amazon's revenues are, are through the roof, right? As they're taking on a lot of that share from typical brick and mortars. And I, I think there's some similarities to what we're seeing in life insurance, um, where in general, the industry has actually um, shrunk. There are less sales year over year over the last few months than there were in 2019, even though there's certainly an increase in demand more people are thinking about life insurance, more people are thinking about their mortality, 
but there has been a, an overall decrease in the, in the sales. But we're seeing a big spike in our in our revenue and in our sales, largely because we're our, our model is built to work in a non-physical world, work in a virtual environment where there are no face-to-face meetings, um, nothing in person, everything set up process-wise to be able to be convenient on your own time uh, and, and when you're ready to do things. And that's kind of carried forward into the pandemic as we put more and more focus on emphasizing that business structure and allowing people to get through the process quickly. And we've seen an increase. Um, and part of that, again, is, is due just to the, the demand going up uh, and people thinking about their mortality. But a lot of it is just the general progression of being a startup. A lot of things kind of coming together. We, we finished our fundraising right before the pandemic hit. Uh, we hired a lot of people right before as well. So that general momentum continued through. And we've seen a, a boost as well uh, from the pandemic. Okay. You know, and let's let's move back to your story. I just, I just was yeah. curious about about that reflection. You you, you sort of was, you studied as actuarial science. You you know you went into insurance. That's a pretty secure route in in terms of career. I mean, uh, there's not too many of you anyway. So why pack, why become a, why go into a risk side of things? You know, when you you know you you're pretty solidly you know, placed in, in, in a big financial sector. Yeah. I mean, part of that is just my personality. I've always been, I've always been more of a risk taker, but very calculated with my risk taking. I mean, I, I like to analyze everything I do. I like to weigh out the pros and cons, think through things as mathematically as possible. Uh, but also recognizing where there's opportunity and, and where I can kind of hit my potential. And I started off as an actuary and that was, probably as conservative as it gets for someone in math and looking in that area. And I did that for about two years. I wrote my exams. There's, there's about nine exams that you need to pass. It changes every so often. But back then, there were about nine exams I had to pass to become a, a fully certified actuary. And then I pretty much quit that job the day after I finished my last one. Oh. Finished everything. Uh, and I never really used that designation. Uh, I jumped into management consulting, as they said, which still somewhat conservative from a, um, you know, you're going to have a good salary. You know, there's there, you, your good job security. Um, it's not running a business. Uh, but it was a little more, uh, a little more up pace, I would say, right? It was late nights, weekends, more challenging work in the sense that you don't know what's coming. Things are changing very quickly mm-hmm. in a very fast paced environment. Uh, and that was my kind of taking the next step of, okay, let's get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Let's do something that's going to, Push me a little further, uh, and help me kind of get to my potential where I thought I, I, I could be. And, and, and that was an incredible experience for me. I, again, I was about seven, eight years at a company called Oliver Wyman. I was based in Toronto, but I was working primarily in the U.S. So mm-hmm. I think I would average about 115 flights a year for about <laughs> seven years. Uh, so it was, it was pretty hectic, mostly yeah. in New York, but pretty much all over the U.S. I was traveling right. to. Um, and it, it was like, honestly, I couldn't think of a better place to be or better set of experience to set me up for what I'm doing now. But it was at a point where I kind of, uh, there's time for a change, time to take the next risk, time to find an area where I can further add value and, and, and not just work on behalf of big insurance companies. And I think that's what bothered me the most was that that job, um, if I did a good job, it was big insurance companies making more money, um, and being more efficient. And yes, that does flow through down to the customer in some cases, but there's no direct line to the customer. And I felt that my next 
And venture had to really be focused on, okay, there's a ton of gaps here in transparency, in education. Customers are buying products through advisors. The advisors are often, uh, they don't have mathematical backgrounds. They're often not trained all that much on the specific product. It's extremely easy to get a distribution license to sell life insurance. Mm-hmm. They're working, they should be working on behalf of the customer to provide the advice. They're paid by the insurance company, fully incentivized one-to-one to help the insurance companies make money. The more they sell, the more they make, whether it fits the customer or not. I just found that there was a huge mismatch between what the customers knew and what they were buying and what they should be buying and how the industry was set up. And that's where I wanted to start the company and really focus on, on really taking my knowledge, taking my understanding of what goes on behind the scenes and bring that to the customer and bring it to distribution and think about, okay, where do we place that in the process so customers can make much more or much, much more informed decisions on what they're buying and buy products that better suit their needs and their family structure. But why set up something yourself and not to do it within an organization? I mean, do you come from an entrepreneurial family or is it just, is this this Andrew? No, to be honest, my family is not entrepreneurial at all. It's a very conservative (laughs) um, doctor, dentist, right? Take the state read, right? For me, I I mean, it was just, I I really felt that there's no way I can have even close to as large of an impact doing this within an organization. even if you find the right company that's going to give you free reign and say, okay, this is your thing, go own it, go do what you want, it still takes way longer. There's still a lot more politics. Uh, there's still a lot of competing interests. And, and I'll tell you firsthand, one of our biggest, one of our biggest value statements or our biggest um, characteristics as a company is that we recommend to 26% of our users not to buy life insurance. And there's a whole lot of people who are recommending not to buy permanent life insurance which is the really expensive version of the product. Mm-hmm. And that directly goes against what an insurance company would want to see from a sales and revenue perspective. Mm-hmm. So to kind of have, we felt in order to be intellectually honest with ourselves and with our customers, we really needed to be completely independent from the industry uh, and from an insurance company when we built up our advice algorithms and we thought about what we're recommending to them. Interesting. Let's sort of move to, the, you know, why here? Why, why, why you know, Southwest Ontario? We know it's a bit of an insurance hub for sure, but I mean, you've tried, there are other hubs around North America um, that you, and you've obviously been to them. What, why here? Yeah, so it, I, would, I would first say it's not exclusively Southwest. We're a Canadian company. We're operational in probably about seven, eight provinces now. We're increasing them. Mm-hmm. We should be in the rest by the end of the next couple of months. So, uh, I mean, we think about it as a Canadian company where, again, there's no in-person, so we're able to serve the entire country. So it really came down to us as, as which country we, we want to start in. Um, I, uh, I'm Canadian. My co-founders are Canadian. I know a lot about the Canadian market and uh, spent a lot of time here. And that's really where it began. We, we could do Canada. We could do U.S. Wasn't as familiar with other markets around the world, not having spent much time there or worked there. So it's really between Canada in the US. Um, and frankly, we just saw more of a gap here. There, there were already, there's already some capabilities in the US in our space, not so much focused on the advice and the guidance, but more on the digital aspects of, of the life insurance okay. process. So we did see more of an opportunity here, but also this is where we were more passionate about helping Canadians, given that we are Canadian and given that this is, this is where our home is, uh, and where we've grown up. What are you most excited about in your business at the moment? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the exciting part for me is really that we've seen so much growth over the last six to eight months, really since the beginning of, uh, of 2020. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, the end of 2019, it was a struggle. We were, we were going through a fundraise. We were severely understaffed. I was on the road a lot trying to raise money in, in, uh, in France and New York. And we, we saw things weren't going as well as we thought. We experienced a good mid 2019 and we thought we were kind of on this uphill mm-hmm. progression and then things flatlined. So, um, to really see all that hard work, uh, come through and, and return in early 2020 and the growth that we've seen and, and just see the value that we're now adding, the reviews that were coming in, the, the money that we're saving for so many people. It's so exciting to see this actually work, right? And, and I think you, as a, as a founder and an entrepreneur, I mean, you're always excited. You always have hope, um, and believe in yourself and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But there are so many unknowns. There's no instant gratification. There's no instant feedback. It's very difficult to tell if you're doing the right things, making the right micro decisions and macro decisions. Um, and really to see that all come together and, and start to, to really pay off in terms of growth uh, has been so excited. So for me, I mean, I'm, I'm just, just knowing that how good our team is and how well we've hired and, and, and how hard everyone's working and seeing that like we've barely scratched the surface on what we're capable of. I'm very excited for what the next six months to a year for come. This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada is powering Canadian small businesses. Go to ebay.ca forward slash up and running to open your new global e-commerce business. And moving on to yourself a bit, I mean, yeah. what's, what's the best thing about being an entrepreneur for Andrew? Yeah, for, for me, it's really, it's the autonomy, right? It's the ability to, to not have to answer to, to many people, right? Uh, and, and look, there, there are definitely negatives to that. I mean, there, there's some aspects where it's helpful to have, um, people watching what you're doing and, and, and you have to definitely be the right person to be able to handle that. But at the same time, um, we don't have to, if, if we don't have to answer to insurance companies, we don't have to answer to, uh, big corporations, if we feel that there's something that's right for us to do for our customers, we can go off and do it. Uh, and that's an, an incredible feeling to have. It allows us to move very quickly and allows us to really add value. And, and that was one of the things that bothered me a lot about working for a big corporation that we did before is there's other aspects, right? You can't always do the thing that you think is right, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the noble thing or, I mean, there's other competing interests. And, and it's fair. I mean, companies, that's how companies operate. And, and I, and I know one day, uh, or I'm hopeful one day we'll get to a size where we're, we're very large. And, and I'm sure at that point, some of these things will come back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've been very careful about who we picked as our investors, um, how we've built our, our culture and our board and everything from that perspective to keep that autonomy and make sure that we're not, our, our top metric is not revenue. I mean, we're looking a lot of value adding for our customers. And if that means selling products that don't maximize profits, then by means that's what it is. Um, and that's really been very important to how we built our company. So apart from raising money, which you did say was a bit of a challenge uh, six months back, what's the, what's the greatest challenge you particularly have faced uh, in, your business, in your entrepreneurial life today? Yeah, um, so, so I think one of the issues with, with being a disruptor, and, and again, we're not, the disruption that we bring isn't just process-oriented, which I think a lot of, you think of a lot of digital companies, especially in the insurance space, as being we're just making a manual process digital. That's very easy to define and to articulate and, and to see for a customer. But we're also really focused on the value from the advice perspective, right? And, and again, uh, educating the customer. And we go we go against status quo 
more so many in so many different cases where we're recommending core aspects of our recommendations are very different than the industry, and we get a pass. I mean, there's we we see brokers disagree with us. It's very different, right? And and I think that that's one of the biggest challenges we face is how do we sell ourselves to our to our customers? How do we convince them that we're the ones to be trusted? We're the ones looking out for them. Uh, and I think it's it's been challenging. It's been really challenging to build that brand. I think we're getting there. We we focused a lot on PR lately and getting our word out mm-hmm. uh, and really being uh, making sure customers realize how honest we are. But it's very different than what many people are used to in terms of what the advice is, and, and that's been a huge challenge for us. Me as an entrepreneur, but also policy as a company, and, and really making sure that uh, it's clear what our value proposition is and, and how we're actually benefiting through the better education and better branding. What's the best piece of advice you've been given that you still use, you know, on on a regular basis? Yeah. So, so the first one, the the best advice that I was given, um, and this was even before I started the company, was don't do this by yourself. You you need you need good partners, at least one, hopefully two. You need people who care about this and are as passionate about this as much as you are. And, um, that are, are smart, that are hardworking, that will really put the same level of effort in and just, just care. Right. Uh, and I think I've seen other founders try to say, you know what? Like I want my idea. I know everything about this. Why am I going to give up 50% or 66% of my company before we even start? Uh, and it's just, it's the wrong approach. And I'm so happy I was given that, that guidance before because, uh, I mean, having Laura and having Jeff on the team, there's no way I could have done this without them. Zero chance. Um, and I think that's so, so important to think about what you're building and who you're working with. So what would, what advice would you have given yourself when you're about just graduating? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, start earlier, take the risk earlier. Uh, there, there's some level of getting the experience, working for a big company. And I think that is important. And I, I don't think it's a good idea for, entrepreneurs just to go right out of school and right into starting this. Uh, I think there's a lot to, to learn and a lot of professional maturity to gain before you do it. But I don't think I needed to wait that long. I, mean, I worked for about 10 years before, before I did this. And I think I could have you know, jumped in a little earlier because you learn a lot. And, and there's so much, even knowing what I know now versus what I knew two years ago, just from going through this, having learned some of that earlier would have been, would have been very beneficial. And I'm sure what I'm going to learn in the next two years would have been beneficial to me now. So. It's finding the right spot. I don't think there's a certain amount of number of years that's right for everyone, but I do think it's valuable to have to get some experience in, in an industry that you want to disrupt in, uh, working for a bigger company, learning how to be professional, learning how to communicate with different people. Even now, uh, I, I talked a lot about how autonomous we are and how we kind of have our own business, but we're always looking to do new innovative things. And some of that relies upon uh, companies with big balance sheets and insurance carriers. And I'm I'm meeting with them. Uh, we're building some stuff with them, uh, and and just understanding how to navigate how those companies make decisions, how to navigate the political aspects and the culture, and talk to different people, and who needs to who I need to get on board, and who necessarily don't need to. All those different areas I learned so much about as a management consultant are really benefiting me in my role now. So there's always a balance, but I think it's important for people to get that experience. But not if you have an idea, and once you feel like you've learned a lot. Just jump right into it and, and try it out. So let's move to the sort of the quick rapid fire questions. If you weren't doing what you were doing now, what might you be doing instead? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I would have still been at my old company. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I'm hoping I would have made a partner by now, although it's both yeah. a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would have been, well, would have been traveling, although not the last six months, but would have been on 100 flights a year still. Uh, yeah, I think it was kind of a moment where I made that decision to go. And if I think if I didn't ever had made that decision, I would have been in the same place. I was for sure. So what book are you currently reading and or what books would you recommend to somebody that, you know, th th those that made an impression on you? And, and again, that kind of that, that you've carried around with you. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, one of the, the books that I love the most, Moneyball, I know that it's a bit of a cliche, but I just, the, the way that they took an industry that was just a job that was just done so qualitatively um, for years and years and years and really broke it down to numbers and to math and, and took a sport um, that is emotions and, and the way people's behavior and just said, okay, we're going to ignore all that. Um, it's all law of large numbers. There's all, there's volatility, there's variation. You're never going to be perfect with an individual decision, but at a whole, it's all going to average out. And just understanding, seeing how that kind of played through, uh, I thought was like a really, really reached me a lot. Um, and I, it really helped me think through, okay, how can you take that model and apply it in other areas where mm -hmm. you're still managing people and it's still randomness. And that's really what life insurance is, right? Even at the individual basis, you're, you're predicting the mortality of an individual person. And it's, a, it's obviously a binary event, right? The person either passes away and there's a payout, or the person doesn't and there isn't. And when you think about putting people on a scale, you're going to be wrong or you're going to be right. But the, the idea is if you can guess where they are on that scale, for a lot of people, on average, you're going to be right. Uh, and that's what I kind of saw in that book and taking that notion of applying to an industry where you would never think it would make sense. A little bit less serious. Are you a morning or a night person? Uh, I'm more of a night person, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I still get up quite early. Um, it never gets easy. Oh, you you think after doing it for 10, 15 years, it'd be easy to wake up. I'm still it never does. But I am also up pretty late. I like to work yeah. late, watch TV before I go to bed. So definitely more of a night person. We are in you're in the twenty percent of of the people that answer that question. It's interesting. Yeah. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be? I think, uh, I mean, mathematical is how I always think about it. It's really, for, for me, it's, it's a lot of breaking down and analyzing everything I do, um, especially when it comes to work uh, and it comes to, and we've, we've really tried to take the life insurance vice model, remove as much emotion as we can and really think about it in pure numbers um, and pure yeah. analysis. Um, and I think that's how I make a lot of my decisions. I definitely, Get some pushback from my fiance, from family members, how uh, I'm hard to argue with. Uh, I try to be logical and mathematical with everything. Um, and sometimes it's not needed, but uh, that's definitely the way I approach a lot of my uh, day to day. So what's keeping you up at night these days? Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, I think um, one of the biggest fears for me is, is we're up to 20, 24 employees now. So uh, we're starting to get into that range where we're, we're not a tiny company anymore. Um, and I think that, that hustle and, and the aspects that come with a small company, of we're all in this together. It's very easy to see an ind your individual impact on the big picture when you're on a eight person company, mm -hmm. right? But as you get bigger, it might be harder for employees to maybe recognize where they fit in or how much value they could have. So mm -hmm. I think for, for me, a lot of it is how do we maintain that scrappiness 
How do we maintain our culture that's got us to where we are uh, while we're growing? Because we certainly we need everyone we have. Um, we're going to need more people as we continue to grow. But we also don't want to lose sight of, of who we are and, and try and keep that small business scrappiness mentality. So that's one of the biggest, I wouldn't say fears, but it's definitely something I think about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting to kind of transition. Yeah, we transition now from being even my role, um, thinking about, okay, and just helping the business grow and thinking about what's the best for the business and now taking a little bit more of, from an HR standpoint of what are my employees going through? How do I help them succeed? And it's definitely a different mindset. What are your kind of non-negotiables? I mean, you kind of obviously math and logic is one pretty pretty non-negotiable. Yeah. So what's the other couple of them? I mean, I, I think a lot of it is non-negotiable from from my perspective and from the company's perspective um, has always been we're doing right by the customer. And I, it's, it's been so, it would have been really easy for us to, I mean, the way we, we make our algorithms, the way we recommend products, there's, there's customers who come in and are asking for expensive permanent whole life policies that where we'd make 10 times the commission. And it'd be so easy, just even on an individual case, just to say like, yeah, we can help you with that. Here it is. Let's get through. And I think one of the big non-negotiables for us has always been, we're not, do not focus on, on the individual payout from an individual case. That's not what we're, we're building here. It's a volume business, um, it's a reputational business. It's focused on doing right by our customers. What, what would you recommend if this was you in a situation? What product would you need? Let's sell that irrelevant of what we make off of it. Um, and that's one area where, especially when you're, I would say we stopped chasing revenue targets. So we were certainly trying to chase them going into our fundraise, which was a huge lesson in its own, which I can get into as well. But uh, I think you start to see those kind of influences come in and say, okay, well, we can just cover our whole monthly target with this one sale. And it's, you know, it's the wrong thing to do. So that's one of the, when we talk about to anyone who's on the marketing side, on the sales side, on the customer success side, it's very important that they, we get that across and we believe that they're the type of person who will stick to that um, and they'll get ahead of or away from what we believe in. So you've, you've, you, you, I don't, you've heard the tropical island question, um, uh, I think, before in terms of, you know, we, we leave you on an island, a tropical island. There's no form of communication, no devices anywhere except an old-style phone that you can call us in the boat um, and we'll come and collect you. What do you do, Andrew? How long do you last? Can you last? I have no supplies. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would last a little bit. I'm, I definitely am a person who likes to be alone. Uh, I, I can definitely do things on my own. I'm generally not that reliant on others um, for different areas. So I think I would be okay for at least a short period of time, uh, making do, uh, being my own thought. I think the boredom would eventually take over for me. Uh, I don't like to sit around. Uh, I like to be doing stuff, whether it's playing golf or sports or, or uh, hanging out with, with friends or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. I like to be active and, and move around and do things. So, yeah, I mean, I think I would probably actually enjoy it for the first little while, but we'll get to one pretty quickly. Uh, Andrew, that's about it. I mean, it's been very interesting, actually. I, I think uh, you, you've uh, sort of seeing the insur- your side of the life insurance side of things a, a bit, and we've interviewed two or three people from there as well as your co-founder, and it seems to be uh, a place of change at the moment. So that, that, that's kind sure. of kind of in- interesting. So people listening to this, you know, how can they get a hold of you? I mean, that sometimes 
people want to get a hold of uh, not not of me but of you to, to discuss things what's the best way for them to do that yeah i mean the, the best way is just to, to email email the company um everything kind of flows through and, and gets triaged right away so i anything anyone reaching out to me through our our general mailbox i get that email right away um and easy to respond right away as well so uh, it's all on our website, but they can reach at info at uh, policy.com. That's great, Andrew. Once again, thanks for coming on. Uh, it, was, it was great having you on Canada's podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada is here to help. They've been supporting Canadian small business retailers for 25 years, and their up and running program is getting Canadian businesses online today. Visit ebay.ca forward slash up and running. Stay local and sell global with eBay.